0: Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a good week leading up to Christmas. To celebrate this week, we decided to do a, a series of short uh, podcasts uh, built around the nativity or the Christmas story. The nativity story shows us that mystery is, is surrounded, it's covered in the ordinary. And to see God in a manger opens our eyes to see Him everywhere. The Nativity is a place where heaven and earth overlap, where God and man will become one, uniting us with Him forever. In the Nativity, we see the depths of God's involvement with us. He moves beyond compassion to full participation. This challenges us to never distance ourselves from from others or even from our own pain or suffering. But before we go any further, uh, I want to lay a foundation that will take us beyond the traditional Christmas story. So, we'll start with what's called the Annunciation. The Christmas story begins with a striking contrast. First, the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah to announce the coming birth of John the Baptist. John will be the last of the of the Old Testament line of prophets. Now, the contrast is this. The angel came in the temple in Jerusalem. He came to a prominent priest, and that priest does not believe. Next, he comes to a young, single woman named Mary in an obscure town called Nazareth. By the way, there's no mention of Nazareth anywhere in the Old Testament. But Mary believes So from the beginning, the the sign of the gospel of this new covenant is hiddenness and lowliness. So Gabriel greets her with the words, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Rejoice, that first word. It's like this is the true beginning of, of the gospel of the New Testament. From the beginning, it's good news. This is a theology of joy. The angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I think probably more than any other time of the year, Christmas is a season for us to honor Mary as uniquely blessed among women. Then he goes on and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Well, I want to introduce a word that's probably new to many of you, Theodicus, which is a, a name, a title that the liturgical church around the world gives to Mary. It's a name of great honor. Theodicus means God-bearer. Jesus is fully human because he was born of Mary. The church fathers saw types in the Old Testament of Mary, especially the ark, that the ark which held the glory of God looked prophetically to when Mary would hold the Son of God in her body. And then he says, call his name Jesus. You know, the revelation of God's name is very important. We go all the way back to Exodus 3 when Moses says at the burning bush, well, well, who should I tell them sent me? And he said, you tell them I am. And now here... When the angel says, and call his name Jesus, it's like it's like we get the, the completion uh, of the revelation of God's name is Jesus. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, uh, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. I want us to understand how critical this is. In the, it's a moment that is, that is without parallel in the history of the world. Let me explain why I think that. God created uh, the world with free will. Uh, it's an expression of his perfect love, and he never violates that. Now, the first couple, Adam and Eve, they failed. And they had free will, and they failed. And and death and darkness came into the world. Now God seeks to physically enter the world in order to rescue it. But in order to do that, he needs a free will to say yes. So when this announcement is made by Gabriel... Before Mary responds, I believe it's like heaven is holding its breath. And then she says, let it be to me according to your word. Beloved, this is the the greatest, the highest choice of free will that will ever be made. Mary becomes the mother of God through her willing choice. St. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said this, How shall man pass into God unless God has first passed into man? How was mankind to escape death unless he were born again through faith by that new birth from the Virgin? Mary knew that her obedience and trust would make her the object of gossip. A single girl? Pregnant? But her heart, her vision was focused on on the goodness and the faithfulness of God, regardless of appearances. So we'll jump ahead a little bit in Luke's narrative, still in the first chapter. In obedience to what the angel has said, Mary goes uh, to her cousin Elizabeth, a, a, a trip of several days. And when she sees Elizabeth, she suddenly bursts into prophetic song, inspired by God's Spirit. This song is known as the Magnificat. And and from the Middle Ages to our time, the Magnificat has been the subject of, uh, of beautiful and famous paintings, some of the world's greatest music. I love to listen to Bach's Magnificat, for example. And all of this music and art is inspired by this song of Mary. I'm going to give you just a few verses. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. She is declaring a whole new order, a whole new shift. And Mary's song is not just her own. It's the song of millions and millions of people throughout the centuries. It's a song of joy and of confidence in God's unfailing purposes. So once again, we see that God's new covenant is marked by lowliness She refers to herself as God's maidservant. The word in Greek is doulos, and it actually describes the servant class. But in the kingdom, the lowest become the most blessed. From the time of Christ's conception, the gospel in a very, very special way identifies and brings living hope to the poor and the weak. It is impossible for me to state just how revolutionary this song is. E. Stanley Jones, a writer that I've loved for years, said this, The Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. During the British occupation of India, the Archbishop of Canterbury instructed all priests in India to never read the Magnificat in public. It was too seditious. It was too dangerous. In fact, right to this day, priests are forbidden by law to read the Magnificat in Guatemala and in Argentina. That's how revolutionary it is. And so she sings, he has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. The rich he has sent away empty. In God's new order, where up becomes down, no longer is value given according to a person's wealth or their status. This is so countercultural. In fact, it's even counterintuitive. But Jesus never sought out the rich and the powerful. Instead, he joined those at the bottom, the outcast and the undesirables. From the beginning, the gospel is marked by hiddenness and lowliness. The very purposes of our gracious God depended on the willingness of a simple girl in an obscure town to say, Yes, Lord. Our God never coerces. He never pushes. He never forces. Think of this. The creator of the cosmos moves in humility. As Paul said, how great is the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Tomorrow, I'm going to lay the second foundational stone for understanding the significance of the Christmas story. We're going to look at the incarnation, which I believe sits at the very center of the mystery of the gospel of Christ. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.